Dieting, especially restrictive dieting, is the number one risk factor for developing an eating disorder. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% saving for members of Australian Fitness Network. And for face-to-face learning, network members also save on standard rates for Filex, the fitness industry convention. In this episode, dietitian, coach, and trainer Amy Giannotti discusses healthy and sustainable sustainable fat loss, why good fats still need to come in small doses, the danger of restrictive food rules, and why we should be wary of testimonials, with the Fitness Industry Podcast's Oliver Kitchingman. Amy, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thanks, Oliver, for having me today. Amy, as a you're a dietitian, a sports dietitian, also worked as a personal trainer and a strength and conditioning coach and a running coach. So you've got multiple multiple feathers in your cap. And yoga now. And yoga, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you, you've been involved with a number of businesses in, in the health and wellness industry. You've accrued a lot of experience. So what, what's the one theme or the biggest challenge that you find unites them all? I think, yeah, keeping them accountable, sticking to one idea or plan because there's so many ideas out there so they might be on one path and then get distracted so yeah consistency for results especially if it's you know building strength or you know seeing some performance improvements and then obviously weight loss as well can't just do one thing for one day and expect big transformation (laughs) yeah I mean, nutrition is a big part of people's goals. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of PTs that are listening to this podcast will have clients that are coming to them for for fat loss. I mean, they might call it weight loss, but it's, you know, it's fat loss. It's We know that nutrition is a huge part of that. You know, it's maybe it's 20% exercise or 30% exercise and it's 70 or 80% nutrition. Obviously, PTs are sort of limited in their scope of practice with what they can be advising or, or prescribing clients nutrition-wise. But you do believe that they, they can sort of recognize nutrition-related red flags that are preventing clients from, from achieving optimum performance. So when you talk about these red flags, what are those? Yeah, that's funny. Well, first of all, I think it's I get asked, you know, is it 30% exercise and 70% diet or, you know, what's the percentage? And really there's no exact number. But if it's weight loss or fat loss, for that to occur, we just need to be in an energy deficit. So if we're consuming less energy than our body requires, for example, if my energy requirements were 10,000 kilojoules and I'm only consuming, say, six or 7,000 kilojoules over a period of time, and then I'll lose weight, full stop. But that doesn't mean it's a healthy and sustainable weight loss. So what I like to educate people is the difference between a healthy and a sustainable weight loss. And a healthy and sustainable weight loss would include making sure we're meeting all of our nutrition requirements, which I suppose I have the, the knowledge and understanding of you know, how to meet all of them. But a really basic tool that I teach PTs is to look at the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating and using the recommended food serves. And I understand for a lot of people, it might be very, I don't know, I find that many people are quite negative against the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating and the food groups, but really it's it's a key tool. And when we are meeting all our food groups, where it allows us to meet 100% of our RDIs for all the different nutrients. And then when we have 
got all of these nutrients in the right amounts. It's like having all the key tools that our body needs and we can function our best. Whereas if we're deficient in, in key nutrients, then we can't expect to be functioning our best. And when I presented at Phylex on fat loss, I talked about some common red flags or things that I see people do when they're trying to be healthy and lose weight. And some of them included going nuts on these superfoods or really healthy foods. So keeping in line with you know a weight loss goal, an absolute requirement is to be in an energy deficit. So if we're having a lot of really energy-dense foods, then that can contribute to a positive energy balance and then we're going to gain weight. So some common energy-dense foods, foods that are high in fat, so good fats or bad fats, whatever, but if it's high in fat, because fat is the most energy-dense macronutrient, that can definitely contribute to a positive energy balance than weight gain. So some examples would be like oil. So a lot of people are adding lots of oils, could be coconut oil or extra virgin olive oil, to foods thinking it's going to help with fat loss or help lose weight. So one tablespoon of any oil, given that it's 100% fat, would have about 650 kilojoules, which is equivalent to nearly two pieces of bread. So oil, we don't get to chew. It doesn't fill up much volume in the stomach and it can be hidden in a lot of food. So that is a big contributor to, I suppose, a positive energy balance. So I don't recommend excluding it, but just limiting the amounts and choosing some cooking methods where you don't have to use as much. Another energy dense food is avocado. <laughs> Everyone's going nuts on avocado and oh, where would Australians be without <laughs> avocado? Yeah, so half an avocado can have, you know, around eleven thousand kilojoules if we're talking about a large one, which is like, yeah, three pieces of bread. And so many people are fearful of having bread, but I'm happy to have more than half an avocado, maybe even two full ones and eat them like an apple. And yes, they are energy dense and nutrient dense. They contain some really good essential fats. But again, if we're having a lot of it, it can contribute to a positive energy balance. And then that is going to lead to weight gain. So if avocado or never or Generally recommend, you know, using it as a spread on bread or a wrap if that's what you like, or if you're adding it to a salad, maybe using it more as like a, a topping ingredient rather than one of the main bulking ones. Another food on this same theme with high fat energy dense foods is nuts. So a lot of people going nuts on nuts and a cup of nuts can have about just over 3000 kilojoules. And most people, when they're trying to lose weight, being that energy deficit, their total energy target might be, you know, six to 7,000 kilojoules, depending on the person. So that's a whole lot of that target, I suppose. And yeah, nuts are very Moorish and yeah, another really energy dense thing. So I would be recommending to have more like a handful for a snack and then pairing it up with a big juicy fruit. So there you've got your high water content, your high fiber, and also giving the chance for your stomach to tell your brain that you're quite satisfied. It's difficult because a lot of the perception, obviously, of these foods is that they're they're healthy foods, and they yeah, are. They are healthy foods, yeah. So, so there's one like no size, no perfect healthy food for everyone. And I work with a whole range of clients, from athletes to general population, people with weight loss goals, and even eating disorders as well. So some of my athletes are doing crazy challenges, like doing 24 hour swims, or want to riding the, ride their bike from. Fremantle to Sydney <laughs> and obviously they have huge fuel requirements and of course I'm going to tell them to have sports drinks and as much carbs as they can to, to, to get them through it. It's their, it's their fuel. Yeah, we need to. 
yeah, they can't afford to be in an energy deficit, especially if, you know, they want that competitive advantage. And then when we have someone who maybe has diabetes and has a weight loss goal, then I wouldn't be telling them to go crazy on the sports drinks. So, yeah, you know, we need to look at every food individual to people's goals, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah, red flags for weight loss would be looking at the energy-dense foods and also looking at people's behaviour with food. So if people have quite a restrictive diet or really strict food rules, so, for example, not allowed to have bread or not allowed to have carbs or those kind of things. And these are these are sort of self-imposed food, food rules that they've kind of put on themselves rather than <laughs> having been advised by a dietitian. They come from so many different places, sometimes mm. magazines or mm. Facebook or yes. a new diet or <laughs> I don't even, there's so many different sources. Mm. But anyway, a restrictive food rule, yeah, generally makes someone think about it more. So for example, if I said you're never allowed to have strawberry flavoured ice cream, you might not even care about strawberry flavoured ice cream, but all of a sudden you think about it all the time, you see it on special, it's on the billboards and you're thinking about it more and more. So you're probably more likely to be thinking about it more and then when you find yourself in this weak spot maybe, you eat it and generally you'll eat it quite fast and then you'll feel bad, you'll have that guilt association and then maybe compensate by feeling like you have to over-exercise or you know, not eat certain food the next day or something like that. So when people have got these unrealistic food rules, I find their energy intake being, you know, going up and down and that really creates a really negative relationship with food. Yeah, dieting, especially restrictive dieting, is the number one risk factor for developing an eating disorder, which wow. is a very serious mental health issue with, you know, some serious physical outcomes. Mm. And, yeah, that's the area that I'm really passionate about helping people with and I think in the personal training field I know that the trainers are very innocent but sometimes they're not aware of sometimes the things that they say or recommend and how that could maybe impact on that client for example if they told them they're bad for you know they may have got got them to do a food diary and they saw that they were having bread or dairy and then told them that it was bad and that it's going to make them fat or that's why you're not losing weight or whatever and then yeah things can start from there i understand from a trainer's point of view they don't mean any harm at all it might have worked for them like they might have been in an energy deficit because they cut out dairy and they cut out bread and then they lost weight and that was that proved it to them mm. but just not having that well-rounded, I suppose, knowledge of the big picture. <laughs> so I guess it's a case of uh, maybe PT can say, well, you know, this is an experience that I've encountered before or, or, mm. or, or this is something that I've experienced myself. I'm, you know, I, I cut such and such a bit or reduce such and such a, an ingredient and it had this effect for me without saying this is what I'm advising you do or mm. prescribing that you do. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely a good point. And that is something that dietitians will have strict I suppose rules around so we're only allowed to you know recommend things that have a you know good quality evidence base behind them and another thing that makes sometimes work opportunities a little bit more challenging is that we're not allowed to have testimonials on our website or social media mm. and we all know how strong and 
powerful those testimonials are, but from a dietitian's point of view and when you have the understanding of quality research, you understand that a testimonial is one of the poorest mm. form of study because you're not controlling all those other variables. You know, were they sick and they lost weight or were they was that food diary real? You know, you're only basing that on one person and maybe you paid that person to write that. So when we're up against, you know, when we are talking about dietitians up against maybe I don't want to name names, but people who, you know, making a lot of money on shakes or food products and that kind of stuff, yeah, they can do whatever they like. They can have some amazing pre and post photos and testimonials and stuff, and it's a great way to get people to buy stuff. But I wish I could – I wish people knew that, knew what we couldn't do. Mm. Yeah. Frustrating, yes. Mm. But, yeah, and there's been some dietitians who have been quite annoyed about that. And I definitely understand that. But I think if we, you know, continue just to be honest and we get the referrals just from our work, then we're going to be successful. So I haven't done any testimonials and I'm quite busy. So, <laughs> yeah, found other ways around it. Yeah. That's good. So, Amy, if um, a PT is looking to steer their clients towards healthy and sustainable results without overstepping the scope of practice, what are some simple strategies that could help them do that? Well, just recently there was a document produced by Fitness Australia and that was, and they also involved Dietitians Associations of Australia and Sports Dietitians Associations of Australia to promote some guidelines of what they, I suppose, can and can't say and the consequences. And we all have the same end result that we want our clients to achieve, you know, optimal results. Well, pretty much what PTs can say is as long as it is in line with the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. And that means, you know, eating from the five food groups and even creating a bit of a meal plan, I suppose, or talking to them about a meal plan that includes meeting all those food groups and the recommended serves is definitely, you know, a great thing that they can do. And if they can get online, I think it's Eat for Health, (laughs) a government website. They've got heaps of online tools that you can use with your clients. So there's an educator guide where you can, you know, do an estimated how to work out your energy requirements, how to read food labels, some basic meal plans and education there. So I think as a client, they would find that really valuable. And having a good understanding of that Australian Guide to Healthy Eating and the food groups, then you can talk about meals that you know can incorporate it all. So you might have a favourite lunch, it might be like some brown rice with chicken and last night's leftover veggies or something and that's definitely in line with that because you're getting your grains you give veggies and, and obviously your lean meat and alternatives so yeah definitely check that out that is very valuable also sports dietitians association australia have some valuable fact sheets and i always use them so i've done you know years of study and i just go back to the basics i'm always looking at you know food groups because that's just like the cheat sheet way of working out of how to meet their requirements in my eyes and yeah these fact sheets are great they've got things on hypertrophy long distance running so endurance training and the nutrition priorities around there and always some examples and sometimes they have some recipes and yes then different diets like celiac disease and if you have a dairy intolerance yeah there's a whole bunch there so go to sda and look at the fact sheets and they're available for your own use and i'm sure that you can show your clients there and if you do feel that something is with you know, not within your scope of practice, then that's when you refer on. And I think that is a great opportunity to, yeah, build a good relationship with a dietitian. And yeah, I think 
if you're sending them clients and work, I suppose, I'm sure they're willing to do the same thing back to you because if they're a dietitian and not like myself, who's also a trainer, they're not allowed to prescribe detailed exercise programs. So they have to keep within, you know, the, the guidelines for physical activity, but they cannot prescribe, you know, a certain training plan with intensity and reps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all about finding relationships that work for, for both of you and yeah. building these networks. Yeah, because you can't be in, well, I was going to say, you can't be an expert at everything, but yeah. Oh, not, not, every, not everyone's you, Amy. Not everyone's a, a sports dietitian and a personal trainer, a strength and conditioning coach and a dietitian. Oh, I don't get the opportunity now to work as a PT full-time. I no. only see actually one client. Mm-hmm. And then the other stuff I do, some online, I do have an a training app so it's personalized training so i can only have a handful of them as well because i need to chat to them regularly and check up on them and they're all personalized it's not a one size fits all but yeah <laughs> amy thank you very much for speaking with the fitness industry podcast is there anywhere that people can go to find out more information about you and the work that you do yeah they can check my website out which is www.eatingfit.com.au i'm pretty active on social media so amy lee giannotti on instagram And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook. So Facebook would be under Eating Fit. Amy, thanks again for speaking with the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thank you for having me. For a range of online nutrition courses, including Network's The Australian Dietary Guidelines for Fitness Professionals by Dr. Kate Marsh, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, go to the Network website and select the Courses tab. Members of Australian Fitness Network save up to 20% on courses, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au to grow your skill set and fitness career. And for face-to-face nutrition know-how, remember that Network members also save on standard rates for Phylex, the fitness industry convention.